If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, and you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out. What's up, everybody? Destin Gary here, and this is the BAMtastic episode of Podcast Unlocked. Ryan let me host, so it's going to be really, really crazy. Joining me as my regular co-host, Stella Chung. Stella, good to have you. And we have Hello. two... Extra special guests, Miles Dampier and Jez Corden from right to left because I'm weird. Thank you so much for stopping by. Both of these gentlemen work over at Windows Central and have done some really, really good work in the, the realm of Xbox. How are you doing today? Miles, we'll start with you. I am doing fantastic. Really appreciate you throwing me the invite. You know, as someone who spent a long time outside of the industry, now that I'm quote unquote in the industry, it's it's honestly kind of surreal and weird to be on the show. But I'm excited. I'm excited to hang out with my my good buddy, my coworker Jez Corden, for the Windows Central Takeover episode of Unlocked. Yeah. Well, it's very, very good to have you. Jez, look directly into the camera and I want to know your favorite ice cream flavor and how your day is going. Favorite ice cream flavors, probably mayonnaise. What? Uh, oh, uh, no! Oh my god! <laughs> I've made a huge minus. mistake. Get him minus. off! Get him off um, the show! I'm, I'm reporting him right now. I'm reporting him. No, absolutely not. That's so. Oh, sorry. Uh, what was the other question? Uh, just how your day is going? You doing okay? Day's going okay. So it's the end of the day here. Like pretty dark, as you can see in Britain. There is no sunlight anymore. So. uh I bought Miles to to bring the energy, and I'll just sort of you know fade into the background and fall asleep. Yeah, see, my day was Hopefully going not. great until I heard about the mayonnaise ice cream, and now I I'm a very visual person, <laughs> so my day is ruined and my disappointment is immeasurable. <laughs> <laughs> no worries at all. Uh, I'm glad to hear you're having a good day. Thank you for joining us, uh, Stella. How are you doing? <clears throat> good. Um, you know, not not thinking about mayonnaise ice cream, but I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> See, it's so funny. Ryan's gone for one day and everything has just like exploded. Destin says this is the bamtastic episode, and I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it's gonna go swimmingly. Well, one of the reasons I'm really glad to have Jez here is because Jez, about six days ago, you broke 
a pretty big avowed story. And because we're in video land and, and just, just because viewers like to feel like you're talking right at them, if you could look in the camera, tell us what was this big report <laughs> about avowed? Why don't you share with our viewers, take us through the, the journey, paint okay. the picture of what you got to experience for them. <laughs> well, um, I can look in the camera, but man, I should have, I should have like maybe put my camera somewhere else. Maybe, <laughs> but um, uh, avowed. So avowed, I over the last few months, weeks, I don't know. Like I've been getting snippets of information about avowed, and I thought like now was a good time to sort of put all that information together and sort of build out a report on you know the game and uh, what. Fans can expect huge fan of the Outer Worlds, so um, uh, obviously, naturally, the, the natural progression of that is to be excited about Avowed, right? Um, so I did get a look at the game in a very early sort of format. Uh, it's sort of like pre-alpha footage. Like I don't think they have a full-blown playable game yet, but I'm not sure because some of the footage I saw is could be quite old at this point. Um, but what I did see was really, really interesting, really, really exciting. I didn't want to share that footage at the moment because um, I think first impressions are important, and I'm sure the developers would want like they want to they want to show the game with like the lighting fully implemented and the textures fully implemented and that sort of thing. Especially but after the, a... the Redfall stuff recently, right? <laughs> oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I suppose so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, so I thought like I won't I won't share that part of the footage, but. I did get a good sense for how the game plays because a lot of the animations were implemented and a lot of the a lot of the like character models were implemented and the environments implemented. So it seems like Avowed is set in a part of the world called the Living Lands. It's set in the Pillars of Eternity universe. For those who aren't familiar, Pillars of Eternity is a, a sort of it's a CRPG. It's sort of classic sort of tactical sort of uh, RPG that's available on PC, also available on Game Pass and stuff like that. Um, but this sort of this shifts this shifts the formula to through full 3D. Uh, like you know, the the easiest comparison to make is Skyrim. You know, um, you know, I, I could see that you've got some some cool footage up on the screen, and you, you know, the, the it's, it's unmistakable, asset. right? <laughs> yeah, the the one asset. Yeah, it's it's unmistakably Skyrim, right? You got the sword in one hand, you got the the magic spell glowing off in the other hand, and um, I did get a sense that like if uh, if the Outer Worlds was Obsidian's take on Fallout, then Avowed is most definitely Obsidian's take on the Elder Scrolls, right? So I saw like bow and arrow gameplay, stealth gameplay, wielding two daggers. I saw sword and shield gameplay. There was um, a very sort of uh, dynamic warrior combat where I saw like a warrior sort of kick an enemy in the face and he went sort of splatting against the wall, kind of like, kind of like, um, the shouts from Skyrim, you know, the Fusradar and stuff like that. So it did strike me as a game that sort of has a lot of abilities and different ways you can play, different play styles accounted for. Um, there were a lot of spells I recognized from Pillars of Eternity, like Jolting Touch, which is a spell where you shoot like lightning out of your hand. There's also like, you know, your classic sort of fireball spell, which is also in Pillars of Eternity. And, um, you know, in, in the one asset that we've got, you can see, like, they're doing those sort of complex hand gestures. Mm -hmm. uh, those were all represented in the pre-alpha build that I saw as well. 
and um, the environment was implemented and it looked really good. There was swimming as well, which wasn't in the Outer Worlds. But I did get a sense that it, it has been adapted from the Outer Worlds' engine. It had sort of a similar sort of very colorful art style. And I feel like I recognized some of the assets, <laughs> which might have been sort of like just sort of placeholders that I bought across from the Outer Worlds, mush glowing mushrooms and stuff like that. But it did look very tight. It looked like it played really well. And, um, you know, it was it was kind of cool seeing some of the, the classic Pillars of Eternity mobs like the Zaurips. Uh, the little lizard, little lizard men. If you don't know, so seeing them represented in full 3D in first person um, was really, really cool as a Pillars fan, and it just made me really, really excited for it. Because um, as you say, so far we've only got this the CGI, this one CGI asset. Yeah. So, so, so you've you've done yeah. you've done all your reporting, and like, how excited were you when you were seeing the footage? Were you were you like? Uh, uh, are you really into games like Skyrim? Do games like this really, really get you hyped, for example? So I'd really be curious to see, like, what was your excitement level uh, before seeing it and after seeing it? Like, are, are you really, really stoked for a vow? Do you think it's going to be uh, a really big hit? Or are you a little more lukewarm on it? Like, where'd you land? Well, I think it's important to note that, like, Obsidian, the team working on Avowed is nowhere near as big as the team that's working on the Elder Scrolls Six or, or sorry, even Skyrim. So I think it's, I'm not expecting it to sort of be a sort of huge, massive game, kind of like Skyrim is or the or Starfield's probably going to be. I'm expecting it to sort of be like the next step up from the Outer Worlds in terms of scope. Um, but that's just an expectation. There's a lot of stuff that I don't know about the game. I don't know how the, the story is going to be laid out. I don't know if it's, I don't even know if it's fully open world, although some job listings suggest that it might be. Um, I don't know if it's going to be sort of hub-based, kind of like The Outer Worlds was. But I really, really like The Outer Worlds because it's. I feel like it brought some of that classic Bioware magic to the sort of Fallout formula. Like, it's the, the characters... I felt like the characters were stronger. Um, building relationships with the characters were stronger than maybe, like, the, the, the way the companions work in Skyrim or Fallout. Like, um, so I feel like there's some of that some of that sort of obsidian style strength, narrative strength and character strength and that sort of writing. I feel like obsidian has really good writers and a really good writing team. I feel like that is, that's where my excitement lies right now is sort of like bringing that pillars world into the third dimension. Although I don't, I don't expect it to have like the, the crazy insane, like hundreds of hours kind of scope for Skyrim. But I also think that's okay. Not every game has to be a thousand million hours long. Um, but yeah, it definitely raised my excitement levels. Um, and just seeing Obsidian step up and step up a level is just incredible. I absolutely love that studio, and um, um, I think Avowed's going to deliver. I, I do. I, I'm I'm very excited. I'm excited to hear that it definitely piqued your interest. And that one shot of the the doing the magic and then holding the sword and it glows with runes or whatever they are with the dragon looming in the background. It really paints a picture of what we're going to experience in this world. I want to make sure that I also include the, our co-host though, in the conversation. So Stella, uh, do you play games like Skyrim? Did you play outer worlds? And uh, uh, is there a, a favorite aspect of those that you want to see in about? Um, so for me, I tried to play Skyrim, but it, it just really wasn't 
for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm definitely more into like the Fallout world. I think I think All it's right. just the setting. Right. <laughs> I think there's, it's just the setting for me. <laughs> there's a common conversation on Unlocked. Like, are you a Fallout fan or a Skyrim fan? Because usually people fall into one camp or the oh, other. And you and I are okay. both in the Fallout camp a little more. I don't so, know what it yeah. is. It's it's just that give me that wasteland, you know? Just give me that like just absolute decimation. You're like one of the only survivors. I like that yeah. a lot. Um, I, I played Outer Worlds after playing Fallout 4, um, and that was my first Fallout, right? Mm-hmm. So I was craving something like that, something modern, something with uh, choices, like word choices that really mattered, like decisions and stuff. And um, I really love what Obsidian did with um, Outer Worlds because there were a lot of secrets you could go explore. And I know a lot of people complained about it being short, but honestly... Um, like Jess said, I, I really liked that format. Like it felt good. And then the DLC came out and you're like, oh, cool. More for me to digest. This is awesome. Um, I'll, I, one thing that I really want to point out though, is I really loved like the character, uh, dynamics between like your character and other NPCs and like your, uh, teammates. I really liked that a lot. Um, I think one thing in like the Fallout universe and, um, other games like that, that I really treasure is just like character um development with other characters so being able to like develop really good friendships or like you know build animosity whatever you want to do like decisions really mattering i really like that a lot so i don't know if this is the kind of game that'll do that but that'd be kind of cool i mean i think that'd be really cool just being able to have your decisions matter in in this sort of game but i don't know we'll see um i think like i think like because because they are sort of building a universe that's within the Pillars formula, like Pillars of Eternity is like I don't know if you I don't know if you're that familiar with it, but it's it is really story heavy and character heavy and decision heavy. Like the even like the most, but it, it's like it's isometric, so I you know it doesn't it doesn't have the appeal with a lot of a lot of gamers. That it might have done maybe in the nineties or whatever. Mm. Um, showing my age now, maybe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm 39. Um, no worries. They, <laughs> yeah, that is something on with avowed. So okay. I feel like to to honor Pillars fans and those games were kickstarted, so they have a very they have a strong community behind them. I think like that sort of lends credence to the idea that avowed will be very strong in a branching narrative department. Uh, your choices mattering, building character relationships and and character development, as you say. Um, I think that's one of Obsidian's big strengths, and I think it will come through in Avowed. Although I did only see combat and movement and stuff like that, so I have no idea how some of those other elements can play out, but it's like you say, you can sort of look to the outer worlds to get an idea, I think, where they'll go with it. I'm just expecting, and basically what I'm expecting is the outer worlds with magic t- taken to a, another level, maybe. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't... Also, to to Destin's point about, oh, I don't need a game that's, like, whatever hours long. Like, yeah, I, I, I know a lot of people really like that about Skyrim, but honestly, for me, like, Outer Worlds being so short and sweet, I was like, oh, that this is a prime example of quality over quantity, and I was totally fine with having spent the hours that I did in that game. I thought it was a fully fleshed-out story. I really loved the conclusion and how each character came to their own development. So I'm very excited to hear you say that they're very narrative driven because I I love narrative heavy games like story heavy games. I absolutely love that. Um, you know, aside from FPS shooters, but you know, yeah. <laughs> 
it, Miles, it's a rare treat. Ago. It's a rare treat when an <laughs> open world RPG leaves me wanting more. There's so many times where I get into a game, I get obsessed with the side quests. I'm doing oh, every yeah. side quest for 50 hours, yes. and then I learn what it takes to finish it. I'm like, oh no, I have 50 more hours of this. I think I got to <laughs> tap out. But yeah. the outer worlds, like. The characters kept me moving along. The story was tight, well-paced. And I got to the end and I was like, yes, this wasn't 50 hours. This was a tight 30 hours. And I loved every single minute of it. And that is a delight for me, a rare treat in gaming nowadays. Right? Miles, Miles, what aspect are you looking forward to most with uh, Avowed when it comes up from Obsidian? As you, you guys have touched on, Obsidian, in my eyes, does an excellent job of developing and introducing characters. I, like, like you, I prefer Fallout, the universe of Fallout, because I can re- relate to the characters. I'm, I love high fantasy settings from a gameplay perspective. I love the dragons. I love the orcs. I love the magic. But I'll be honest, I mash A through a lot of dialogue. <laughs> Shame on me, but with with the high fantasy setting, if if Obsidian can really pull me in and make me connect with these characters in in a way that I connected with characters in say Game of Thrones, which is kind of for me the ultimate example of a high fantasy drama that sucked me in and engaged me with those characters. If Obsidian can do that, I will give them all the praise in the world because I think that's truly where this team excels. I agree. I'm really excited to see where they go. Like Fallout New Vegas was uh, a game that I adored. Fallout 3 is a game I adored. And then uh, later on, I would play the the Skyrim games to, so, to get to see what they're going to do with uh, a fantasy universe, with dragons and magic. I cannot wait. This week's Podcast Unlocked is brought to you by NordVPN. Hey, if you're watching a lot of sports like me and you hate blackouts, NordVPN is a great way to go. You can use NordVPN, a virtual private network, to watch live sporting events, TV shows, films that aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country that is showing that event. No more blackouts. It's also good for plenty of other stuff like protecting your private data, your bank details, your passwords, your online identity. You can protect your data while you're traveling and using public Wi-Fi. NordVPN protects you wherever you are in the world. NordVPN threat protection also protects you from viruses, malware, and phishing sites. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world. No buffering or lagging while you're streaming, and it will stop your ISP bandwidth throttling. NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, so that is a super affordable, great way to go. To get the best discount off of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash Unlocked without the E. That's N O R D V P N dot com slash U N L O C K D. And that'll give you four extra months on the two year plan. And best of all, there's no risk with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. NordVPN.com slash unlocked without the E. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. But there's a ton of news to get through today. So moving on, I think the big thing that just happened maybe today or yesterday was that the Xbox 20-year anniversary live stream is happening on November 15th. And they write, we invite you to join us on November 15th to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Xbox and Halo with a fun digital broadcast for fans around the globe. We won't announce any new games this anniversary broadcast. will be a special look back at 20 years of Xbox. We'll share more details soon, so stay tuned. We've been hard at work to deliver three months of back-to-back game launches, and they listed those in the in the blog post. And while we hope you'll join us in celebrating 20 years of Xbox history, know that we're hard at work on the road ahead and what's to come in the next 20 years. So my question for you was, they specifically said that they will not be showing new games, but... They brought up Halo specifically, so I have to, I have to wonder: Is this where we're finally going to see Halo campaign gameplay? Uh, Jez, do you know anything? <laughs> you want to watch this show? I would say. Okay. Okay. Ooh, okay. <laughs> uh, I like that. <laughs> so, Stella, you're actually going to be reviewing the Halo multiplayer aspect of uh, uh, Halo. Where are you at with the campaign, though? Like, I know you're not maybe as attached to the franchises like I am, for example. I'm almost done with Combat Evolved. So my friend and I have been playing through uh, the old games, which is really fun. Uh, First of all, I want to point out, so in in Combat Evolved, you can kill the general and like all the people in that ship in the starting part. I had no (laughs) idea. He did that. And then they all started attacking me. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, hello? (laughs) Anyway, so it's really fun to like relive these moments with him because he grew up with those games. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. I mean, I was going to ask you, Destin, we're, we're, I know a lot of people said that they were disappointed mm-hmm. with the reveal of this campaign trailer because they didn't get any, um, footage, right? Like in-game footage. So I'm curious about you as a veteran Halo player. How did, yeah. how did you feel about this reveal and what do you want to see in terms of campaign? Um, if, if they reveal anything in this, in this, uh, 20 year anniversary stream. So personally, I really, really adored how they did the original reveal where it was all just environmental art and there was even Morse code on the walkie talkie at the beginning. And we got just enough hint at to the type of storytelling that was going to be told in the Halo Infinite universe, especially when, you know, Master Chief standing there wearing a, <laughs> a different type of Molnir armor than perhaps we're accustomed to after Halo 5. That made a lot of fans happy right off the bat. And then we got a bunch of details or the interviews. Then we got these storytelling trailers with this character, the pilot, who we don't really know a lot about. We don't know how, like what this relationship is between the two of them. And then later on, one of my favorite pieces that they've actually shown was the one where new Cortana was introduced because I think they did a really good job of showing the emotion that Master Chief can evoke just 
by not speaking and through his motions, like the pause as he goes to pick up the battle rifle from the the fallen Marine soldiers and perhaps feeling a little bit of responsibility there for how events have played out. So I'm really, really excited about the campaign. I was tremendously disappointed with Halo 5. I've made my I've made my um, my opinion clear that I, I feel like that campaign just fell drastically short of the storytelling I'm accustomed to, especially after teasing things like Hunt the Truth and even the Dr. Halsey aspects of the storytelling that that were sort of there. That has a lot of meat to it that I don't feel like was really given the justice it deserved during our playtime with it. So, I, yeah, I guess that's that's a good jumping off point for you, Miles. Like, how do you feel about where the Halo storytelling is? And are you excited about the campaign and what we've seen thus far? I'm really excited about the potential of Halo Infinite as a jumping off point for for new fans and players. Uh, like you've touched on, Halo has a ton of lore. I have a, a some coworkers, a bunch of friends who read all the Halo books, really immerse themselves in this world. I'm probably not going to read the Halo books. <laughs> so I would like the story that's presented in Halo Infinite to really deliver that. We've, we've seen Halo deliver powerful, strong stories in the past. And as you touched on, a lot yeah. of people had complaints about the, the story and the narrative presented with Halo 5. Um, for me, Halo at its core has been this beautiful balance of, of sandbox gameplay and a story that gives me just enough to be invested in these characters, keep moving forward without fundamentally taking away from the gameplay. They've always managed to do this delicate kind of balancing act of that. And I think what we've seen of Halo so far presents that with, with the initial campaign trailer, with these story-focused CG trailers that we've seen. And I hope for this 20th anniversary celebration that they kind of put everyone at ease by giving us a trailer that is that. Give me the strong story beat that seamlessly blends into a gameplay moment that leads to this big climax with a character. And show me that Halo Infinite at its core is going to be everything that I know and love a Halo can be. Jez, how important is this? for Microsoft to get cracked. I, th I think the answer is pretty obvious. But um, after the Craig meme, which was just there in a flash frame, if you saw it, after <laughs> all the controversy surrounding Halo Infinite, the year-long delay, how important is it for this to be an amazing success campaign-wise for Microsoft? I mean, it's obviously really important. And I know the team's under a lot of pressure. It's it's difficult when a franchise reaches a certain age because you you get into this uncanny valley where you have to appeal to the, the core fans and the core fan base and what their expectations are. And you also have to like sort of adapt for modern sensibilities and, and what people's expectations are and, and stuff like that to build build out a game that can sort of, you know, compete with the kinds of games that younger gamers are probably looking for. You have to remember that Halo's always been a sort of teen-rated game, so it, it has a specific target audience in mind as well. And and I think balancing all those aspects is probably a huge challenge for the team. Um, indeed, undoubtedly, you know, because obviously the, the older audience are probably looking for something that leans a bit darker, maybe, in some ways. Whereas, like, you know, they, they can't go too dark because they, they, they don't want to hit that mature rating is because Halo's never really been like that or whatever. Um, but obviously they've got their work cut out for them. They had a year delay and, um, you know, circling back around to your, your question, it's, it's obviously 
massively crucial for Microsoft because they've had a lot of momentum this year. And, you know, they've built up a huge amount of goodwill with Xbox Game Pass and under undeniable value there. They've fixed their hardware issues because, um, you know, like, when the Xbox One launched in 2013, it was less powerful than the PS4 and uh, more expensive, which is, like, the worst of both worlds. It was... Um, we don't need to go into the history of how much of a catastrophe that, that has been for the brand. They're still recovering from it, mm-hmm. even now, you know. Um, so they went, they went, they went to, back to the drawing board and they solved their hardware issues. So the, the last piece of that puzzle now is, like, can Microsoft's internal studios truly execute a game that everyone's, like, you know, that is representative of the quality people expect of a platform holder, you know? and um, a lot of it comes down to, you know, Microsoft's core competition, you know. Um, Nintendo are delivering for Nintendo fans, and Sony have been delivering for Sony fans with games like God of War. Metroid Dread came out recently, and that's delivered a huge amount of goodwill for Nintendo and uh, got rave reviews and stuff like that. I actually have a copy myself, thanks to my friend who bought me for my birthday. <laughs> so... um and I've I am I am touched my switch in in a couple of years, right. partially because I just I just barely had any free time, but also because like um there wasn't any games that sort of tick up my fancy, you know. But then, you know, I see everyone raving about Metroid Dread and posting their clips and it's like, yeah, I want I wanna play that. And I think Halo really needs to be that kind of game mm. where people are like, Oh my god, I can't believe what happened in the campaign or you know, and it creates this sort of the halo effect. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm curious, uh, actually, just just from because you guys have played the other campaigns, you've played all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that Infinite? Do you think that with with three four three putting out Infinite, they are trying to revive this series? Like, do you think they're going to continue on building more titles, or do you think they're going to focus on multiplayer? Because the multiplayer can live on without campaign, right? Like without another title. Well, the um, reason the, the sorry, Stella, I thought you were done. Oh, no, no, you're fine. Because, uh, like, you know, they're, they're going with the free-to-play model, you know, with Battle Pass and stuff like that. So, so they are looking for longevity with their multiplayer. But I'm curious about the campaign. Do you think this can survive past Infinite? Yeah, the reason I specifically asked about campaign and how important it is is because having played multiplayer now in a few flights, right, it's just, like, undoubtedly excellent. I, I have no doubts in my mind that that launches and it's going to be a, a hit. Unless there's like some major server catastrophe, there would have to be something quite drastic to happen for multiplayer to just be a dud because mm-hmm. we've had two flights now. The, the consensus is in. It's a blast, right? So we have this free multiplayer that's going to be excellent. But storytelling wise, I do want to touch on why I, why I think it's, it's really important that they get this right. I think this says a lot, not only about what the Xbox brand is capable of storytelling wise, but also what we can expect from future titles from the company. So if the Halo campaign, one of the biggest franchises from Xbox, has a story that is just eh or not great, I think that's going to send a message to a lot of people that uh, will cast doubt on the storytelling capabilities of the entire uh, brand because this is their God of War. So for me, I'm like, they have to get this one right. They have to get Halo right. It's Master Chief. It's Halo. It is synonymous with the Xbox brand. So if this doesn't work out again, I, I think it's going to sort of cast a negative shadow on 
what they're able to do capability wise. Cause what's, what have they thrown more money at? <laughs> I, yeah. I can't think of anything. It's, you, it's an, sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask, would you say the pressure is on even more because they aren't launching the campaign with co-op uh, campaign mode? Yep. That was, that was a big negative. Mm-hmm. So no campaign co-op. So you're playing through it solo for the first time at least. And then no forge for multiplayer either, which is, it's less of a hit, but it's still a hit. And it, and it's for me, it was the first time I, I ever cast out on, on three, four, three or the entire halo infinite project. What had to happen for them to have delayed co-op, something that they had doubled down on twice that would be there at launch. Right. And then Staten comes in. He's like, no, <laughs> so I'm like, what did he walk into? And that's, that's a question I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for to just learn more about. Maybe we will like five years after launch or something. What are you saying, Miles? I would say there is this interesting and, you know, serious conversation to have about Xbox Game Studios and its future. Because what we've been told of Xbox Game Studios is this is the promise of what Xbox is going to deliver moving forward. And, you know, we've had amazing titles like Psychonauts 2, which have Xbox Game Studios has been involved with, um, but we haven't really seen that huge marquee. This is the mission statement from Xbox Mm -hmm. Game Studios. Every single game from us is this level of quality. We haven't seen that stamp yet. We can argue uh, Forza Horizon 4 or 5, phenomenal, stellar games. Um, Racing games have a ton of appeal, but a lot of people in the core space aren't necessarily looking for that highly regarded racing game. They want your, your God of War, your last of us, all those kind of titles that we look to as the industry gold standard. And, you know, I want to believe that when Halo drops, it is that this is Xbox. This is three, four, three industries saying, this is what we are now. This is what you can expect from us moving forward. And I really want the conversations to be about how great Halo Infinite feels and plays. Mm-hmm. Me too. Jez, how do you feel about there's, all this? There's like, there is a hard cap <laughs> on how emotionally connected you can feel to a car. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. Agreed. And an airplane, you know. Well, you, some you people get a little too emotionally connected, but yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Some people maybe, but that, that's catering to a niche, maybe. Mm-hmm. These are like, Microsoft's had an amazing year for gaming. I, I'm, I'm actually like, if you look at the whole year and zoom out, they've had one of the best years in maybe almost a decade for Xbox. They've, they've, they've got Age of Empires 4 coming. They've, got, they've had Flight Simulator launched on Xbox and they've got a Game of Year edition coming. They had like, they've got Halo Infinite coming. They've got Forza coming. And they've had like Psychonauts, they had Wasteland DLC drop, they've got a huge update for Gravity coming, they got an update for Minecraft Dungeons coming. I'm just basically going through my editorial calendar in my head right now, and all the work that I'm going to force Miles to do later. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, um, you know, it's that they've just had an amazing year. Um, And they announced Minecraft hit like 140 million monthly active users, Mm -hmm. which is a truly mind boggling figure. But it's like Miles says, there's still this question mark of the marquee, the big sort of the the icon, you know, like you you can't, a car can't be that. You can't connect emotionally to a car like you can to the characters in a game like God of War or or Horizon Zero Dawn or literally Spider-Man himself, you know. So Microsoft really needs 
you know, that really yeah. needs Halo Infinite to be that marquee title. And you guys are all completely right. For sure. Well, there is other news that we need to talk about, <laughs> like right before the show, actually. So that that anniversary thing broke. But separately, a new Splinter Cell is reportedly in the works, if rumors are to be <laughs> Be believe this came from uh, videogameschronicle.com and basically the first two sentences in the article say the following it says ubisoft has greenlit what will be the first its first mainline splinter cell game in a decade that's according to development sources who told us that the title has been put into production as a means of winning back fans frustrated by recent efforts to revive the franchise in the mobile and VR spaces. Now, uh, quoting the same article, they bring up how uh, Yves oh. Guillermo said that <laughs> everyone's what? reactions. I just, sad. I'm just cracking <laughs> off at the, uh, the the Splinter Cell projects like mobile and VR. It's just well, yeah, it's All been right. like a big slap in the face <laughs> to fans, right? So um, Yves said, um, when you create a game, you have to make sure you will come you will come with something that will be different enough from what you did before. The last time we did a splinter cell, we had lots of pressure from all the fans actually saying, don't change it. Don't do this. Don't do that. So some of the teams were more anxious to work on the brand. So my question to the panel is how do you think they should modernize the splinter cell franchise to, to meet that need that Yeez is talking about? Because I actually largely disagree with his sentiment. I think you need to modernize it, but keep the heart of what made the games great. And yeah. we've seen Halo Infinite do that. Halo Infinite feels <laughs> like a refined, it feels like Halo. It feels distinctly like Halo, but it feels modernized. And I think that's a very, at least in the multiplayer aspect, it's a very easy thing to point to. And I'm just like, well, do that. We're looking at, uh, I believe this is Splinter Cell Blacklist. Right. The last one was Blacklist, right? Yes. So <laughs> Splinter Cell Blacklist was the final entry that we saw. And I actually really, really liked what they did here. But I guess it didn't meet sales targets. So is Stella like, are you a stealth fan? I know you like Apex and I know you like shooters. <laughs> I'm so bad at stealth. I like to go in guns blazing. <laughs> so what what did they need to do to modernize this franchise to appeal to a wider set of gamers? Um, I mean, I feel like their audience is already so massive. I mean, I, I feel like recently their the fan base has been dropping off a little bit because of the way they've been treating the the franchise. Um, I personally have not played a Splinter Cell, so I really want something modern so I can get into it, and then maybe like that'll grip me to go back and play the other ones, right? Like how Fallout Four did. Fallout 4 was a modernized version of Fallout, and I realized, oh my god, the storytelling is really good. And that wasn't even the best, like, fan-dubbed um, fan game, like, the best game in the Fallout series. But for me, I really liked it because it was modernized. And it made me want to go research, go play New Vegas, Fallout 3, you know, stuff like that. So I think they need something that could appeal to more, um, more gamers who may not have played this franchise, right? Like, and I was going to bring up uh, Halo Infinite, like multiplayer feels really good. I went back and played some of the Master Chief Collection multiplayer and Halo Infinite feels snappy. It feels like what you needed in a modern day Halo um, multiplayer game, at least. So knowing what I do about Splinter Cell, I feel like they need to keep the stealth in because I feel like that's a major play of Splinter Cell. But I think maybe like add in a few more options for people who might mess up and go loud accidentally like me, you know? Um, I think that would definitely appeal 
uh, to me more just because I'm, I'm, I am really bad at stealth. I will like I am in real life. I am very clumsy in games when it comes to <laughs> stuff like this. I will find something to trigger like an alarm or something. Um, it, so I don't know. But looking at the gameplay here, I'm just like, I think this is fine. I think maybe if they just make it look nicer. That's it. Like the graphics yeah. upgrade. I don't that's, think they need to change anything. Like it is so unique, and we need unique uh, games like this now. Like everything, we don't want cookie cutter stuff, right? And Splinter Cell delivers such a specific thing to its players that I don't think they should change anything. Honestly, I I I genuinely don't think they should change much at all. Like people want a specific product, and you should give them that. Yeah. I don't know. I I feel like I, that's that's. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> I, I played through Blacklist on Perfectionist and I love that it offered the challenge that I wanted. And like basically if you you got caught, you were you were out of luck, right? And I had a really, really good time with it. They also had like lower difficulty settings where they had something called mark and execute Stella. So that kind of okay. gave you that fast pace, like, okay, I've marked five targets. You press a button and he just slaughters everybody in the room. It was really, really rewarding. Ooh. It was like your reward for doing the stealth stuff. So, uh, Jez, okay. we'll go to you first. Like, do you think they need to, what do you think they need to change up? What do you think they need to do to revitalize Splinter Cell? Well, if you look at market trends, clearly Splinter Cell needs to go free to play, <sighs> needs to be Battle Royale. Oh, God. Oh, God. Needs to be rammed <laughs> with microtransactions. <laughs> People but, in the boardroom um, are smiling right now, Jez. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Man, how many Battle Royale games does Ubisoft have in the, in the pipeline right now? I feel, I feel like they couldn't get any more in, even if they wanted to. Yeah. But, um, but uh, nah, I, I, I agree with Stella. Like, I think they need, to, they need to look at what IO Interactive did with Hitman. And they sort of, yeah. they gave the core fans what they wanted, which was a hardcore stealth game. But then they modernized it with those servicey sort of elements that make money in 2021, right? Mm -hmm. But they did it in such a way that it didn't alienate any of the fans. And now, now they merged Hitman 1, 2, and 3 into a single client, which is really impressive, like the what they what they managed to pull off there. And now Hitman is like this ultimate representation of the the classic puzzle stealth game. But I suppose Hitman hasn't always been like centered around the narrative to the same degree Splinter Cell, Splinter Cell is, I guess. Um, you know, full disclaimer, I haven't played Splinter Cell since the very first one on the original Xbox. Ooh. So I am not the most familiar with the series. I, I would love but, to see a remake of the original trilogy because those are so highly regarded. You go back and play them now, dear Lord. They are, they are, they're a product of their time. Let's just say that. Like, I don't, I don't think that would fly Maybe. with anybody. Yeah, today. if they start with like a, a an HD remaster or something, I I would like that. I'd play through it. I think it, I it think has that, to be that remade. Could be where they start. Like, yeah. if they just fully remake the first game to find their footing and um, sort of, you know, get reacquainted with what a game looks like that isn't open world. Go here, kill an outpost. Because yeah. I'm not sure Ubisoft remembers how to make games that aren't that. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, not, not to be too harsh about it, you know. But um, let's be honest. A lot of Ubisoft's recent games have sort of rolled into Derivative. this sort of... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they've become homogenized. Mm -hmm. You've got, like, 
open world that you go you go to the kill the outposts and you kill lieutenants and you work your way across this open world like all their games almost play the same way these days i think ubisoft could really do well to to rediscover what it means to make a game that ends after 20 hours <laughs> you know that gives us a you know <laughs> a sort of a content that i can i can get through as a as a as an adult with things i have to do you know <laughs> yeah like look, Please look at metro i can't i can't do 700 hours in another open world game i can't do it look at metro look at metro dread on on the switch it's like a 12 hour game people are lauding it and talking about how great it is and they're just celebrating this game that is just exactly what we want and then there's rewards for going through and playing through on a harder difficulty there's like other incentives to do it it's an old model but Ubisoft used to be almost a master at that. And now they just they just want you to live in Assassin's Creed Odyssey for like 500 hours. No, and I'm like, I would yeah, rather absolutely. play through a narrative, enjoy the narrative, and then do the other stuff if I choose to not get like trapped. Miles, I, I didn't go to you yet. What Are you a Splinter Cell fan? Where do you see them going with this? How do they modernize it and still make money? <laughs> I am with Stella. I, you know admittedly don't really care for stealth games i i don't quite frankly have the patience for them i want to run in i want to shoot stuff i want to beat people down and if a game can give me that while maintaining its core like hitman 3 i was going to use this as my example i think that is the best case scenario of a a hardcore stealth game that caters to someone like me i can pick up a wine bottle i can throw it at someone's face i can run into a boredom with a banana and kill six people with a banana you give me that in Splinter Cell, we'll talk. I'm in. I'm there oh day God. one. Did you ever find the newspaper? It was so funny because you would whack people in the head like, no, no, bad. It was, it was so funny. <laughs> the sandbox of Hitman 3 was so good. And yeah. I think to appeal to a modern audience, you really have to do that in a stealth game because there are hardcore Splinter Cell fans who want the hardcore stealth experience. But then there's people like me who will, if it's only that, I, I don't have any interest whatsoever. You get, pander to me a little bit, all right? And then and then you gotta you gotta hit. Um, there you go, Ubisoft. Don't mess it up. I was gonna say, Dustin, <laughs> you said something about, you know, spending like five hundred hours in Assassin's Creed and like how Ubisoft games have kind of become yeah. known for that sort of stuff. Like I, I know a lot of people are like, oh, but Far Cry, like it's a decent shooter, like it's good. I'm just like Far Cry is Far Cry. It's been Far Cry for so long. It it's stuck to the same formula. And I and thinking about that. I was like, wait a minute, why can't they do that with Splinter Cell? They know what works. They know what formula works for every game. How are they lost on this? Just because there's so much. The only reason why there's so much pressure on this game for, for another game to come out is because they haven't been listening to people. They haven't mm -hmm. been listening to the community. And I feel like that's something that Ubisoft has really done. They've fallen out of touch with their community. They have stopped to they have stopped um, really communicating with their community, which is huge. I mean, if you look at something like respawn talking to their community i know yeah. that they have been very open about hey i know you love titanfall 3 we're not saying it's out of the picture but we just don't know where our plans are right now like that sort of uh clarity between fans and developers is so like i think they forget that that is a very treasured aspect of you know building <sighs> building trust between the community and the developers and i that, that's something that i feel like ubisoft has kind of fallen off the train of and, and it's very disappointing because they're because of that lack of communication there's clearly clearly so much that has fallen through the cracks in all these games and their shooters are just 
not modernized. Like it, it just doesn't fit. Like the battle royales, hyperscape. Where does that fit into fit into yeah. this realm? Does not work. X defiant. I feel like, uh, yeah. Ghost frontline. It's it's just it just seems tone deaf. Yeah, and Watch Dogs Legion. Yeah, that, I want to like it. Defines Ubisoft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. No, I could honestly rant about Ubisoft for like 20 more minutes because I'm so frustrated. <laughs> and I think we did on the previous episode. So I'm going to move to some more positive news. Probably the biggest news story of the week. Hold on to your butts, everybody, because Final <laughs> Fantasy 14 could still maybe come to Xbox someday. Yay! This is from uh, Yoshida, who <laughs> said, uh, we are still in discussions with Microsoft, and I feel like our discussions are going in a positive-like tone. I don't want to say we do not have an Xbox version, but I'm hoping that the timing will be very soon that I will have some kind of update to the players. That was from the easy allies interview. Now I played a lot of final fantasy 14. I hop back in and subscribe again. Right now I'm hooked on new world. I'm obsessed with hitting level 60 and level 49. (laughs) I'll hit 50 tonight. Um, But this game is uh, also from the IGN article pointed out as the most successful Final Fantasy of all time. So Final Fantasy 14 has seen growing popularity over the past few years. This year alone, the game has seemed as popular as ever with speculation, even suggesting that Square Enix may have temporarily halted digital sales for the game due to briefly over congested servers. And uh, Yoshida had also earlier confirmed that the, that Final Fantasy 14 has become the most profitable game in the Final Fantasy series to date, and that it had recently surpassed 24 million players worldwide with Endwalker launching on November 14th. So a few questions here for the panel. A, have you played Final Fantasy 14? And the more important question is, has the time passed for Final Fantasy 14 on Xbox? No. Sorry, yeah, I'm jumping in. I know. <laughs> Go ahead, Stella. Yeah. I, I, I play this game when I'm tired of shooters, which I, I know, right? Like, how could I get tired of shooters? But um, I play this game to relax. And it is, honestly, the community is amazing. I instantly fell in love. Uh, and it, it's great because you can, what they do is so smart. You can play up to level 60 for free. No subscription base or anything. That is such a smart move, especially for a, a huge MMO like this. Um, I, I'm pretty sure after like two weeks of playing, I was like, all right, I'm buying this. Um, I, I want to say that Final Fantasy 14, just because it's an MMO, don't sleep on the story. Shadowbringers, I'm currently working through that, the latest expansion before Endwalker. It is incredible. The storytelling in this MMO is so good. And I want more people to experience that, especially on console. Because I, I mean, I play with people or I talk to people who play this on, you know, like PS5 or PS4. And they're just like, yeah, it's so relaxing. The way that the controls work, on controller with like an MMO, you think it wouldn't really it work translates out that well. really well. Yeah. They do such mm-hmm. a good job. I even have friends who play on PC who play on their controller because they can kick back and relax. They did such a good job of considering like every platform. And I genuinely think that Xbox should jump on this because it would be extremely profitable for them as well. Not only would it expand the player base, but maybe we could get some crossplay action in here. Cause that'd be so nice. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, Obviously, I think it would do well on Xbox, but I needed to throw <laughs> something to the panel. I, I think this would be a, a monumental hit should it come to Xbox. Imagine if it came to Game Pass. Like you said, you can level up to the first however many levels for free, right, Stella? Is that correct? Yes. So you can play up to level 60. 
which is really yeah. awesome. Yeah. So you can hit 60 on Game Pass. And then if you want to continue on uh, subscribe or whatever. So, I mean, that's it just seems like a no brainer win. And with other games like uh, Fantasy Star Online, New Genesis, I believe it's called New Genesis. Anyway, so that's on <laughs> that's on Game Pass right now. You're able to play that. Um, but what's the holdup? Like, why has this taken so long? I remember I did an interview like seven years ago where this was a conversation with xbox uh jez any insight there <laughs> i got a little bit of insight like first of all you have to look at the the recent court case between apple and epic ah funnily enough ah. for some details about this um it was revealed in that court case that sony charges money to companies to enable crossplay um so for square enix for them to put put final fantasy 14 onto xbox that creates a dent in their margins so you have to assume how are they gonna get to pay for those margins like this is just speculation but maybe they're gonna ask microsoft if you want that if you want this game you're gonna have to you know put some slack because sony's gonna slap us with this charge for crossplay mm. because MMO like Final Fantasy does not work unless it has the community all together, yeah. you know? And um, Final Fantasy fourteen uh, is built in such a way that the, the content updates come down directly from Square Enix's servers. Now, up until this summer, Xbox didn't allow developers to update their own games directly from their own servers. Up until this summer, you had to uh, submit your updates via the Microsoft certification services. Oh. And uh, like a, a robot will check if you're uploading a virus to the Xbox <laughs> or whatever. And, um, and then some, some app packages will get you know flagged for manual spot checking and stuff like that. I don't know. It's a legacy policy, right? But Sony doesn't have such strict uh, rules about this. And they were like, yeah, you can you can update your update the games directly without you know us being involved at all, you know. So Final Fantasy fourteen had to bypass that restriction, <laughs> that legacy restriction, which is partially a Windows thing because you have to remember Xbox is a Windows machine at the end of the day, yeah. and the Xbox all the Xbox platform is all done through Microsoft's developer developer center which is all Windows Store and all Windows stuff, you know. So, so <laughs> this is complicated, right? Yeah. yeah. So well, what's back in the day. Oh, that's right where I was going to go. I was going to go to Final Fantasy XI, actually, like way back in the day, because oh, that did yes. launch on PS, PS2, actually, mm -hmm. and Xbox 360. So why did, yeah, did. like, what happened? Final Fantasy XI, so, by the way, is phenomenal. It's still it still has a massive active community. There's a whole uh, Reddit server that will take you through if you want to play that. And it also has a, a stellar story. So it's awesome to see that we now have Final Fantasy XI if you want to go back and like really old school. I played Final Fantasy XI when it came out and oh, I, I adored it. I watched it. you play on stream. Oh, I yeah. Saw, and I, saw, I, I saw you streaming it. <laughs> yeah, I booted it back up and I because I want to experience that story, right? And now we have Final Fantasy 14, also awesome. But anyway, I interrupted you, Jez. Sorry. Uh, I just, you, <laughs> when you mentioned Final Fantasy 14, I had PTSD flashbacks to Crawler's Nest and <laughs> trying to escape a Bora Beetle train with crawlers <laughs> swarming everywhere, killing everyone. That game was sadistic. 
I don't care. Like, if, if there are Final Fantasy XI developers are watching this, you gave me PTSD. <laughs> Crawler's Nest gave me PTSD. Okay. It's, it's, um, it's much was, easier now. <laughs> they just give you, like, companions to use because they know, like, it's hard to team up with people. Oh so, That's yeah, really they just give you I was like, companions. I love that. Dude, I was, like, 60, I was, like, 15 or 16 years old playing Final Fantasy XI. And there, there weren't European servers, right? So I had to play an American servers. And I was like, I was, trying to, I was trying to do school and exams. And I also had to level up. And the only way I could get a party was at four in the morning. So I'd go to school like a zombie. Like, I was like, I, you know, after staying up all night, getting killed by crawlers, losing XP when you die. <laughs> What is this sadistic game? <laughs> I forgot oh about God. that. It was brutal. Yeah. It was brutal. Oh, yeah. I like you you'd grind crawlers for four hours in a in a party that like was suboptimal, and then you get killed because someone trained mobs on your party and then you level down. Yeah. To add insult or injury, PTSD. I'm telling you. My, anyway, Miles, I, I didn't go to you yet. I want to hear from you. Uh this would be a huge gap for Microsoft, right? Like, are you in a, do you play 14? I, I dabbled. Uh, I'm, I'm a big MOBA guy. So I, mm. you know, I only have so much time in the day and I can't <laughs> really commit to most MMOs, but shout out to Xbox and Square for having these conversations for seven years. I got to give them credit. <laughs> the, the commitment's there. The dream Sporting is not, the oh dream God. is not dead, but as we've seen this year, Final Fantasy XIV has exploded and it keeps growing. So it makes sense to bring it to a whole new audience on Xbox. Like we saw with Fantasy Star Online 2. There is a market for people who want those MMOs. Final Fantasy XIV is a big deal for a lot of people. And it kind of goes back to the all but that Xbox kind of struggles with, with a lot of more specifically Japanese releases where these big games come to every single platform but Xbox. Mm -hmm. And Xbox right now is trying to be the best place to play and they're making huge strides and they've made a ton of progress to do that. But when you have omissions like Final Fantasy 14, um, it's hard to ignore. And I, I want the game on there and I'm sure it's realistically just a financial decision at this point. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like Final Fantasy 11 was, it predated Windows 8, right? Mm. So like it, Windows 8 is when all these weird policies came in, and the Xbox store is actually Windows 8 based. Oh. So, like, now, now that we've moved away from all that stuff, it's lifted the restrictions that were stopping Final Fantasy XIV incoming. So, I think now it is just a financial thing and working out those finer details. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I really want to see this on Xbox because. Honestly, like it's such a phenomenal game. I, I did a massive series of playthroughs with Greg Miller when it launched on the PS4. We played on console, we played on PC, and uh, we had a ton of fun together. And um, I, I just want to see more people get to experience that, you know. So I, I would love it if it finally came to Xbox. It would feel like it would feel like what should have happened years ago, finally coming to fruition, where this is just a game that's more about community than it's about platform exclusivity right and it's like come on it's been how many years like it's time right it's time to bring everybody in on the action um there was a story that i feel i don't really know what to say about this one but uh -oh. xbox made a fridge so we're gonna jump ahead a little bit in the run of show uh the xbox mini fridge sold out in nine minutes 
or something insane. Uh, Xbox is also making shoes. Uh, these are big hit items. And I was just sort of curious about the panel. The mini fridge started as a joke. It became an actual thing. People are actually really, really excited to pre-order this. It's sort of funny. It's, it's, it's a funny, cool thing to have on your set. Like miles, it would be good to have in your background or it's just sort of like a cool thing that I think appeals to a lot of people. Uh, how do you feel about the mini fridge miles? You didn't talk very much during the last segment. So let's go to you first. I'm it's what I love about this this saga of Xbox mm -hmm. embracing these memes in a huge way as we saw when the Xbox Series X was revealed everybody's like what is this form factor we've <laughs> never seen a console like this it looks like a shoebox it looks like a refrigerator and the memes went wild and it was so beautiful to see Xbox not only laugh along with the memes but to embrace the meme package it up and sell it to fans for $100. That is the <laughs> most beautiful. It's, it's pretty it's reasonable. Yeah. yeah. 100 bucks and you can buy a mini fridge. Xbox is selling you memes. You made fun of Xbox. They are paying you for this joke. And it is, it's beautiful. I was uh, privileged enough to get the, uh, the ZOA like promotional mini fridge a while back. So oh, I've, nice. I've had one for a little bit and I think it's about the same looking at the interior. Um, yeah. hundred bucks. Awesome, just silly fan gift and just an amazing moment in video game marketing. Uh, there were also Adidas shoes, which I think I really like those Adidas shoes and I'm not a shoe person. Uh, there's a few people on staff that are like obsessed with shoes. I think I think Wynn is a big shoe person, Michael Wynn, oh, yeah. uh, if I remember, but uh, don't quote me on that. Um, so what do you, what Stella, like, what do you think about the mini fridge and the shoes and everything? Are, are you going to pick up any of this stuff? Okay. The shoes look really nice, but I don't know what outfit they would fit with. They, they actually <laughs> look pretty decent. I, I, I would totally right? buy those over, over the fridge. Cause like I, I have a working fridge. I don't need a mini fridge. I never understood the point of mini fridges. No offense to anyone who uses them, but I'm just like, I'll just take the walk. It's fine. I already sit at my <laughs> desk for too long. Whatever. I, I do think it's really great though, that they are just taking these memes and running with it. I mean, again, like I said, community communication is so important. And the fact that they are willing to like joke around with this sort of stuff. Um, I, I think that's really cool. And they didn't like overprice the fridge. Um, though I do think it's really funny that the fridge sold out uh, in a little bit longer time than it, than the actual Xbox sold out in. So that's really funny. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think it's fun. I mean, like, they're not saying you have to buy it. So I, mm -hmm. I just think it's a fun supplemental thing. It's like, additive. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, it's it, it's just all in good fun. It's really nice community. Uh, fan service. Fan service. Yeah. That sort of thing. If you're really an Xbox fan, I, I'd say go for it. Why not? I mean, I, it, it's sold out, obviously, now. But, you know. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm a very, like. Uh, what is it? Utility based person. So I would definitely get the shoes because I would use them more. So. <laughs> uh, what about you, Jess? Well, being British, I'm waiting for the Xbox kettle. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh my God. I, I, ain't got, I, I don't drink cold drinks. It's too cold here. So I need warm drinks and Xbox is discriminating against British people. You can wear the Wait. shoes. Why not? Wait, imagine if it's an electric kettle yeah. and when you're, yeah. when you're, when your um, water is ready, it, it does the Xbox power on sound. That would be great. I would buy that. That would be sick. That'd be so good. Yeah. I would buy that. They should do it. Right? Xbox kettle. Yes. Yeah, although, although like the idea of like a, 
something that looks like an Xbox with smoke coming out of it probably <laughs> probably isn't the best image you want for your console, especially with the your whole Red Ring of Death thing back in the day. Oh. But um, I don't know. <laughs> I had invited uh, uh, our our previous co-host uh, Taylor on the show, but now I know. The pre-order was happening during recording time, so oh. that's why <laughs> Taylor wasn't able to make it. But uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to talk about the mini fridge shoe story. It's fun stuff. It's supplemental, like you said, Stalin. I think it's sort of cool. I I think I have time for one more news story that I wanted to touch on. That that to me was really really interesting. We know the PlayStation Five sells well in Japan. We know the Switch sells well in Japan. We know historically the Xbox One had absolutely abysmal sales in Japan. So this one was really really interesting for me to hear. The Xbox Series X and S sales in Japan are four times higher than the Xbox One during the same period of time. I believe, and I don't remember the exact number, but there was something like 150,000 lifetime sales of the Xbox One in Japan. Already, there's about 100, and I believe it was 116,000 total sales currently of the Xbox Series X and S, and they are on pace to outsell the Xbox One by November. Comparatively, PlayStation 5 has something like... um like a million units already, I believe. And then uh, that's according to Famitsu. Now, also remember at TGS 2021, Phil Spencer conveyed that they are working every day to expand their J- Japan library. There's 100 Japanese titles on Xbox Game Pass, 200 Japanese indie games in the ID at Xbox program, and that the company is actively working on console supply issues. He also announced that cloud game streaming is launching in Japan on Tuesday. That was earlier in the week, so that's probably live now. He says, we're excited by the growth of the Japanese gaming market, and we want not only to participate, but to help bring Japanese games around the world. Uh, Jeremy Hinton, earlier in an interview with iGen, Jeremy Hinton works uh, PR for Xbox, I believe. He said, Japan is our fastest growing market worldwide and that's new people coming into our ecosystem that's people signing up for game pass that's people buying accessories or games on pc so we're really so we're seeing phenomenal growth coming out of japan to be of that list for us so what is contributing to these phenomenal sales and which Japanese developers do you hope to see Xbox collaborate with with this new found success? We already know that Tango Gameworks is there. Phil Spencer during the Bethesda Roundtable talked about how excited he was to travel to Japan and meet with Tango Gameworks. So, Miles, what are your thoughts about this? This uh, I don't want to say resounding success, but four times higher. It means something is going right for Xbox in this market. Finally, after years of just being the worst selling console in that territory, they're finally going to surpass their abysmal sales of, of historical past. Uh, what are your thoughts? A uh, hard but true setup. Um, <laughs> it is awesome to see Xbox having this growth, having this momentum, because Xbox early on, original Xbox, Xbox 360, they did give it a real shot. We saw a ton of Japanese exclusives. We saw Xbox partnering with cool uh, third-party Japanese developers and publishers to get these games on Xbox. And then when that didn't pan out, they pretty much dropped it hard at the end of the 360 generation into the Xbox One generation. And there was years where there was really really limited support and now we are on the resurgence where xbox again they are committed to making xbox the best place to play so they are trying to make 
Jap- Japan a cool, legit, viable market for Xbox. And I think as we've seen with that data, a Series S and Xbox Game Pass are probably the two biggest factors because Series S is way outpacing the Series X in Japan. Mm-hmm. We know Japan uh, with uh, PlayStation specifically, console sales are dwindling. The console market in Japan is just smaller than it was. So I think that price factor, that value is, is tough to offer uh, or tough to beat mm-hmm. when it comes to developers that Xbox should work with more. Everybody points to Square, as we've talked about with Final Fantasy XIV. I've thrown this gauntlet out, but I will throw it down here on Xbox Unlocked. The mana games need to be on Xbox. Legend of Mana, Secret of Mana, (laughs) Trials of Mana. If you bring those to Xbox, I will get a tattoo of Rabbite. (laughs) Maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of the Final Fantasy XIV Square deal. They're trying to like work out all this, these other titles that they want to see. So the gauntlet's thrown down. Our balls in your court, Xbox and Square. It's up to you now. I did everything I could do. Je- Jez, what do you think about this? Like, what's going on here in the in the Japanese market, and and how do you hope to see Xbox leverage this positive situation? Doctor Shortage, which has gripped the world, and we we can't get our electronics as easily as we could in years past. Um, that's sort of like it it's, it creates new factors. It's kind of like how how much is Xbox benefiting from the fact that Sony can't meet demand in Japan too? Like people like they can't buy a PlayStation, but they're still in the mood to buy something. Maybe they just think, well, I'll just get an Xbox thing because maybe that's that's available and stuff like that. But Phil Spencer said to Wall Street Journal yesterday that um they're having supply supply and demand issues too. Every single Xbox they put on a shelf globally is instantly sold. Like they can't they can't make them fast enough to sell. Microsoft's also dedicating a lot of the silicon they can get into xCloud, which um you know you mentioned that xCloud is in Japan too coming soon. And um I have to say I'm not that familiar with the Japanese gaming market and the gaming habits and I don't I don't want to assume like what is what's different. I don't want to assume what's different um without doing more research but um it's clear that something is different when you look at the the sales figures the fact that like it's uh it's hit 100,000 units like ahead of the Xbox 1 by like 4 years or something ridiculous like that that shows a real opportunity for Microsoft but it's like you say they have to they have to get all those games they have to get the games that Japanese gamers expect Final Fantasy fourteen, like you said earlier, and uh, Miles's what is it, Legend of Mana? Yeah, some, that's some right. Game. It, and Fa- Phantom Dust is another one Miles always brings up. Mm-hmm. Phantom Dust and Legend of Mana; <laughs> those are the only games Miles plays. Actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> the only games you need, um, really, though. But <laughs> but Microsoft has improved things like Dragon Quest hit Xbox now, Yakuza series hit Xbox now, and what we've seen is Game Pass become a vehicle to bring in some of those classic Japanese franchises onto Xbox, introduce them to a new audience in the West while simultaneously having them available at a very affordable, very high-value proposition for, for that market. So um, it's it's interesting to see, and I hope it continues because ultimately it means 
if Microsoft has a bigger footprint in Japan, we will see those games like Legend of Mana come to Xbox <laughs> without Microsoft having to cut a specific deal for Game Pass to get them. Yeah, Game Pass seems to be doing quite well, but you know, Sean Layden says it's not viable, so we'll see what happens. Stella, what's your thought on the Japanese market? Uh, and and what, like, what do you hope to see Xbox do with this positive situation? Um, honest, so, so you mentioned that they were putting on a lot of uh, Japanese indie titles on uh, Game Pass. And I hope they continue to do that, honestly, because I think it's great exposure for um, both of the markets to kind of merge. I think it's I think that's really great for those developers because then people will be like, oh, what what else have they made? What else can I get? So maybe it'll be a great like crossover point for um, both industries. Um, so I think that'll be something that I, I would like to see them do. I think it's great, honestly. I mean. Um, Miles said that the console sales are down overall. And I think the fact that PC and Game Pass is so prominent has definitely something to do with that. And it, it is such a great deal. I know that it's not like viable over time, so we might see a price increase. But still, for the value that we're getting, I think that a lot of people are realizing that they can't pass that up. I mean, we just saw Back for Blood come out and people are like, oh, is this free? Like, how do I like, I want to test yeah. this out? And they're like, I have Game Pass. That's something that a lot of people forget. Um, and especially with the PC market blowing up now too, um, I think we're just going to see more Xbox Game Pass sales. And then that eventually might make people go, oh, well, I mean, I could get the Xbox and maybe play some games on that. Um, kind of like how I'm doing with, uh, with the uh, Halo series. I'm playing that on yeah. my Xbox, actually. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a defi definite want to play things on the like original console feel. So I think that just kind of leads into one one into the other. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I just hope they keep keep doing this. Do do more collaborations with Japanese game studios because I think that's I think that's a really great way to bridge the gap. So I, that's that's just what I want to see. Yeah, Game Pass just like allows people to experience games with a very very low barrier to entry yes. to the point where like they basically give it away if you do the Microsoft Award thing every month. It's 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 kind of insane. And like, there's a whole conversation we can have just about like, will they keep it at at the price it's at or will that price increase at some point it seems like for now they're doing just fine so hopefully it continues that way uh we have about i don't know maybe 10 minutes left in the show so i want to talk about a few bonus smaller news stories that there's just not a lot of meat to them but i feel like they're important to discuss uh so flight simulators the, we know that it's getting its reno air races on november 18th so that will be coming as part of the, I believe it's the Microsoft Flight Simulator Game of the Year edition is also launching in November. Oddworld Soulstorm, previously a PlayStation exclusive, is coming to Xbox late November. So we finally have a date on when Oddworld Soulstorm is going to be coming to the Xbox platform or yeah, to the Xbox platform. Minecraft finally coming to Game Pass for a PC in November. That is great for PC players. Maybe it means we're finally going to get like all the fancy stuff that people have been waiting for forever <laughs> in Minecraft. Uh, I, I think like I don't think the ray tracing thing ever came out, right? Was that the thing that people are looking for? No, oh, that's right. There was like yeah. a demo, but yeah. The, the Windows Central peeps are going to know that better than I am. I played <laughs> it at Gamescom and I did the capture for your IGN and I'm just like, this didn't come out. <laughs> so yeah uh some like i think last year our, yeah. our top performing article was where is this minecraft super duper graphics pack <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh some guy tom henderson said we'll get some big xbox announcements this week uh that was the thing i saw and this jez guy said killer instincts in development and that a cloud native mmo is in development 
What? Yeah. No, what a- no, I didn't say that. That wasn't me. <laughs> I think that was that was Nick from Xbox Era who said Killer Instinct Two is in development. Okay, okay. Um, hmm. I I said I didn't believe him that it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. I'd love to be wrong because I love Killer Instinct, but I just, I just, I'm cynical. I just don't believe it. I refuse to believe it. It's so like Killer Instinct. Like, does it really need to be updated? When that launched on Xbox One, I, I'm a huge Killer Instinct fan. Like, I remember when my dad bought me the SNES cart, and I just, I played it so much. I still have the cart. I, I adore that game. So when it was announced, I like shot my fists in the air. I was so excited to see Killer Instinct come back. I don't know that they could have that sort of response to a Killer Instinct 2 on the Xbox Series X and stuff because Killer Instinct 1, uh, it's still great. Like, I I don't know what they would do to change it up to to bring in that audience because they basically, they had all the characters that everybody adored and it was a good fighting game. It was at Evo, right? So that's you know what they of, could do. Yeah, is they could add the Ford, the new Ford Bronco as a playable character for <laughs> Killer Instinct 2. Oh my god! Yeah, that'd be great. Didn't they have uh, a chief character? They they had the Arbiter, I believe. The Arbiter oh, and yeah. one of the frogs came to Killer Instinct, if I remember right. Yeah, from, Rash uh, Arbiter Battle Ram Time. was in it as well. Like the crossovers were cool. I, yeah. I just played as the dinosaur, that raptor character. Riptor. Yeah. yeah. Riptor. I remember. I. I, I, I yeah. I tied a match because we both knocked each other out. It was really funny. <laughs> Jez, do you want to comment on the, the cloud native MMO in development? Is that partnered with the Kojima thing that's rumored also? Well, I I don't have good information on this. I heard that Microsoft was possibly partnering with a Finnish company called Mainframe mm. to explore building a cloud native game. What cloud native game means, I am not entirely sure. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose like the the idea is that the game runs in the cloud, uses physics compute that you can't get natively, stuff like that. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what that looks like. It's hard to imagine, right? But Kojima's been on the record of saying like, I want to build a cloud native game in like interviews and stuff. To paraphrase, um, I don't have the exact comments down. But there's, there's, a, there's a lot of hype about what the possibilities of building games in the cloud can do. And obviously there are games that are cloud-based, like you know, Final Fantasy XIV, World of Warcraft, technically cloud-based. They run off servers and stuff. So, um, But at Cloud Native, what does that mean? Do you stream all the graphics? Is there any local compute? Like, what the hell does that mean? Crackdown. I don't know. Crackdown I just 3. heard vague rumors oh, about no. it. <laughs> Seeing that in action at Gamescom and getting to play like the the ideal version that they were going to make, it was really exciting. And then we got Crackdown 3. So, you know, uh, there's potential there. And I'm actually glad they're being like cagey about it and not like most of the stuff we've heard is leaked stuff anyway. We know that the person who worked on Stadia, who created Portal, did come over to the Xbox team. And there's rumors that uh, she's working with Kojima, but. It's a lot of it's just sort of like in the ether. It's it's nothing's concrete yet. So yeah, uh, would love to hear more. And I would love to know what Tom thinks. We're getting we, maybe the shoes and the the fridge and and the the twentieth anniversary thing. I think what what he'd heard was about the twentieth twentieth anniversary. Well, I think that's what he heard. Well, that is certainly exciting. Yeah. Uh, 
Oh man, we have so much more stuff that we could talk about, but real quick. Uh, so Xbox is 20 years old today. I'd be remiss. We have about four minutes left. If I didn't ask, uh, with the November 15th live stream, and this is inspired by Danny Pena, fan friend of the show. Uh, he said, what was your first Xbox game? And I'm going to add, what was the first one that you adored Stella? Oh God, come back to me. I got to think about that. Yes. <laughs> My first Xbox game was Halo Combat Evolved, I think. Oh, okay. And we used to we used to skip school, uh, we used to go to school, get our mark, and then climb over the fence, come <laughs> to my house, and we play Halo split screen co-op all day, um, split screen multiplayer all day, sniping each other and, and stuff like that. Um, the first Xbox game I truly adored. This is this is weird because I had an original Xbox. And I had Halo Combat Evolved and like a few other games, but I barely played it. I mostly played on PC. And then there's a huge gap where all I played was World of Warcraft <laughs> for years. So like I didn't really come back to console until the 360 era. And then like I totally fell in love with Mass Effect franchise, um, Mass Effect 1, Mass Effect 2, just incredible. Oh, yeah. Um, but also like Bioshock. Bioshock, the first Bioshock that was exclusive. Game on Xbox that was a timed yeah. exclusive. Incredible. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that actually. Miles, what yeah. about you? Yeah. Like many Xbox fans, very first game I played was Halo Combat Evolved. I remember playing it at a friend's house, playing the campaign in split screen co op, and then begging my parents that Christmas to get an Xbox so I could play Halo. <laughs> and another game that I fell in love with for Chris that Christmas that year, I got Halo Combat Evolved and Hunter the Reckoning which is like oh this really amazing top-down horror-themed hack-and-slash co-op game. And, oh, it, I have so many fond memories. And I keep hearing these, like, rumors about this franchise maybe coming back, and I would be there for it. So big. So big. Uh, we have about one minute left, so still real fast. Okay. It, honestly, it may have been a 360 game, so Modern Warfare 3. I just... Yeah, I just remember playing with my friends because I, I didn't have a console still. So I just played over at their houses and we just play <laughs> into the night. <laughs> nice. Yeah, my first game was Halo. First game I adored, probably Mass Effect 1. Like, I, there's a lot of games I could have put on that list, but like the first Splinter Cell, Rainbow Six Three, Halo, like on the original Xbox. But first one I adored, Mass Effect 1. That's the one that nice. I like, like had me. Um, yeah, so we're we're at the end of the show. I just have a few seconds. So real quick, I just want to thank Stella, of course, for joining us again. It's great to have you as a regular co-host. You're excellent. And it's it's awesome to have you every week. But also a big thank you to our guests from Windows Central, Miles and Jez. Thank you both for making the time. Jez, I know it's late where you are. So I really appreciate <laughs> you hanging in there and, and getting to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Um, well, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. Like I've been watching the show Aww. like on and off for, for years. So amazing. Well, yeah. we're very fortunate to have you both. Thank you so much. We got to get out of here. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you for the next one. Bye for now. Hey. 
Hey, I'm Jillian Clare, the host of the podcast, Thanks for Coming In. I've accumulated some pretty crazy audition stories over the past 20 years, and so have my friends. And I was like, you know what? No, not gonna do this. And then Disney calls and is like, we need you to come test for the Ant-Man movies. I didn't know if my scene was gonna get cut or not. Ooh, I could play that. Tune in every Thursday to hear your favorite actors tell the funniest, saddest, and most cringeworthy audition stories. Sometimes even the one that got away. Thanks for Coming In is available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.